Welcome back, friends. Welcome back to Solutions Watch. I'm James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. And what you were just watching was a bit of Danse Encore, a uh, flash mob that took place at the Guerre du Nord in Paris on the 4th of March of this year. And I'm sure you are all familiar with a flash mob by now, but if not, you just saw an example of that. If you're listening to the audio of this, you might want to check out the video in its entirety, in which... Regular passengers are going about their day at the Guerre du Nord, just getting on trains, whatever, and suddenly someone starts playing an accordion, and then someone else starts dancing, and then another person joins in and starts singing, and then someone pulls up a little beatbox thing and starts drumming, and all of that uh, takes place, and suddenly you have an entire group of people who are all a part of this song, and the regular, ordinary passengers there are overwhelmed. What's going on? And you see the police starting to show up and wondering what's going on. This is a flash mob. Obviously, these people have coordinated this activity at another time and place. Okay, we're all going to meet here, and we're going to do this at this appointed time, so be there and be ready, and let's let's do this. And it looks quite surprising to people who are just passing through. I will, uh, of course, include the link so you can go and watch the entire uh, song, which, uh, well, maybe interesting uh, from a musical perspective. If not, if you know French, it may be interesting to more closely examine the words. This uh, particular uh, video was sent in by a listener um, who provided their own translation of the lyrics, something along the lines of, we all want to continue to dance again, experience our thoughts, interconnect with our bodies, spend our lives attached to a grid of agreements and rules. Oh, no, 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 no. We all want to continue to dance again, experience our thoughts, interconnect with our bodies. And it goes on to talk in terms of resistance, uh, we are all birds of a passage, never docile and never obedient. We do not pledge allegiance at dawn, no matter the circumstance. We come to break the silence, and when in the evenings on TV, Monsieur the Good King has spoken to announce our sentence, we do not show irreverence or disrespect. We always maintain dignity. Something along those lines. Um, uh, the francophones in the audience can... Uh, decide if that's a good translation or not. My rudimentary grade school French shows me, well, that's about, uh, that seems about right. Um, at any rate, it's a song of some sort of resistance and defiance to the idea of diktats and bureaucracy and uh, being issued from on high by uh, Monsieur the Good King, um, speaking from his throne. So I, I think that's a message that would uh, resonate and is an example more particularly of just the idea of flash mobs and how they can be employed to take people out of the context in which they believe themselves to be in of just going about their everyday and suddenly there's this coordinated group activity happening. And that can be done like that in a fun and entertaining way to in order to spread a, a certain message. It can be done for other reasons um, quite uh, well uh, for more purposeful reasons, shall we say, with a specific goal in mind. So, as I say, I'm sure everyone's seen the flash mob phenomenon over the past decade or two, um, and generally in coordinated silly activities like pillow fights in Times Square or what have you, but as I say, this can be used more strategically as a way to 
do or enact certain things in the world that would be difficult if you're all by yourself. But as we often say, well, strength in numbers. If only there were other people who would do this. Well, when you do get a bunch of people together at a, at a time in a place to do a certain thing, you can start to do things that you might not otherwise be able to do. And that, of course, has been latched onto in this era of increasing lockdown tyranny. Um, to try to burst the little bubble of unreality that has been created by the would-be tyrants and insert a little bit of reality, maskless reality, um, back into the context of, say, shopping at the supermarket. Well, that video was from some group that is doing something called Freedom Flash Shopping in Colorado, apparently and is one of four such videos that are linked up on the BitChute channel on which I've seen those videos posted. I don't know the if that's the original source of those videos. Anyway, someone in the audience might have more information on that, but I will link up the BitChute channel where those videos are hosted, and you can go and watch multiple examples of that type of freedom flash shopping phenomenon where a bunch of people all at once go into the store uh, maskless and are obviously confronted by the mask Nazi at the front, um, but they just keep on their thank you for your recommendation and they just go in and start shopping. And since there's a dozen or two dozen of them or however many people it is, uh, it's they're not going to physically stop them all. So these people go about their business. And it's interesting to watch these examples because uh, these this is definitely an example of people doing this in a calm, measured, no-nonsense way. They go in they shop, they are non-confrontational, but they engage people um, in the course of their shopping calmly, and then they buy their stuff and they leave. And uh, they're armed with uh, a piece of paper as a printout from, in this case, in this particular case, it was a natural grocer's supermarket where on their website they said they, um, they follow mask mandates and blah, 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 but it, there are medical exemptions, so you don't have to wear a mask if you have a medical exemption. They, they are armed with that piece of paper. This is right from your own website, and they go in and show that as they walk in, and then they go do their business, buy their stuff, and go out. And it does work sometimes, at any rate, of course, like with everything else. I mean, it's not guaranteed that this is always going to work or that the police aren't going to get involved or whatever, but at any rate, it can work. And those are some examples of how and when it has taken place and people have effectively been able to go in and do their shopping like normal human beings. Um, that's, that's an interesting example. And as I say, that's the example of people doing it in a calm, measured, non-confrontational, no-nonsense, do-their-business kind of way. And on the other hand, you can also see a similar idea done in a very different way like this.
so obviously I think that is pretty much the exact opposite of the Freedom Flash Shoppers example of that group going about in a no-nonsense, do-your-business type of way. This is quite the opposite. This is make a scene, make noise, make everyone around take note of what is going on so that they can't ignore it and uh, to essentially force a confrontation with the store uh, workers, with other customers, with the police, etc. Now, it's not my place to adjudicate on which strategy is better because, I mean, I obviously would never do that. I'm not here to tell you what to do or what not to do. I'm just presenting ideas to you. And it depends, I think, on your ultimate motivation. Uh, are you there to actually do business in a store and to, to get out and to do your shopping without a mask? Or are you there to make a scene in order to get it noticed, in order to start some sort of uh, movement or get people thinking or whatever it is? Again, I'm not here to adjudicate on that, nor should you listen to people who would presume to tell you what to do or not to do in your specific context. You are free, conscious human beings who can make such decisions on your own. But those are two very different strategies that I think ultimately accomplish very different things. And you'll note, for example, the way the New York Post and other outlets cover a story like that one of, oh, look at these rowdy anti-maskers going around creating confrontations. So it's very easy to see how that sort of strategy could at least backfire if the purpose is to actually create some space for actual just... I don't even want to say maskless because, again, that's that creates a category that shouldn't exist. Normal shopping. Um, if, if, that's your if that's your end goal, then maybe your strategy shouldn't be such a noisy party atmosphere to force a confrontation. But anyway, um, that's, those are the types of things to think about. And it does raise the questions of how this tactic can be employed, how it should be employed, in what circumstances, and how that could backfire. In fact, this is something that I've been thinking about for a long time. As evidence of which, I will uh, put into the record a link to a 2011 edition of a much younger James Corbett and James Evan Pilato on New World Next Week discussing Flash Robs, which was a story that was going around in the media at that time, getting a bit of steam and being reported on numerous outlets about uh, flash mobs that were taking place uh, across the U.S. and in the U.K. and other places that were... Uh, specifically being organized to, say, mass loot or steal from a particular store or to uh, start a riot or that sort of thing. There was a bit of media hysteria that was being ginned up at that time about this phenomenon and where it could be going, and criminals will use these flash mobs to organize their criminal sprees, and what are we going to do about it, dot, dot, dot. And as I specifically, explicitly make the point in that edition of New World Next Week from 10 years ago, I said, well, this is one way of starting the, 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 the panic in the prop population that will lead to the reaction of, oh no, you know, what will they do about it? Which will eventually lead to the solution of, well, we're just going to have to crack down and monitor all your social media and make sure that these types of things can't happen. And I should, I guess at this point, parenthetically note that although flash mobs, I think these days, tend to be organized online, there is nothing inherently online about this activity. It can completely take place offline. You can offline in the real world, in physical space, with a group of people you know, organize such a, a plan, and you can all meet at a certain place and do, do the thing, and nothing about that has to take place online. 
as I say, it just tends to take place online these days. And uh, certainly if you want a, some sort of mass movement under some hashtag, you know, and anyone and everyone, please show up and do this thing, well, then that's probably going to have to take place online at this point. Um, but as I say, it doesn't necessarily have to. But it does carry a lot of implications about, for example, well, we can't allow encryption and we can't allow, you know, these types of insurrection organization that's going on on Parlor and Gab and all these scary places and oh yeah Facebook and Twitter too but let's not talk about that and we have to crack down on these social media outlets because they enable this type of crime again we can see that that media meme has been implanted for at least a decade now and it is being actualized right now to drive fear into the public of these maskless hordes etc which actually brings us to an even deeper level of all of this and the fact that it was foreseen even further back than 10 years ago. Let's go 14 years ago, back to the when the Corbett Report was just getting off the ground. And I remember this story as it was happening and as it was being reported at the time back in 2007. And we'll take this uh, from the UK Ministry of Defense by way of The Guardian. Um, but obviously I'll link archive.is so you don't give the Guardian any traffic. Um, and they had a story up in 2007 called Revolution, Flash Mobs, and Brain Chips, a grim vision of the future that starts by saying information chips implanted in the brain, electromagnetic pulse weapons, the middle classes becoming revolutionary, taking on the role of Marxist proletariat, the population of countries in the Middle East increasing by 132% while Europe's drops as fertility falls. Flash mobs, groups rapidly mobilized by criminal gangs or terrorist groups. This is the world in 30 years' time, envisaged by a Ministry of Defense team responsible for painting a picture of the future strategic context likely to face Britain's armed forces. It includes an analysis of the key risks and shocks. Rear Admiral Chris Perry, head of the MOD's Developments, Concept, and Doctrine Center, which drew up the report, describes the assessments as probability-based rather than predictive. The 90-page report comments on widely discussed issues such as the growing economic importance of India and China, the militarization of space, and even what it calls declining news quality <laughs> with the rise of internet-enabled citizen journalists and pressure to release stories at the expense of facts. Interesting. It includes some uh, other, some frightening, some reassuring potential developments that are not so often discussed. And uh, pl please go and read through that article for their the Guardian's take on this. But one thing that I will note, I guess parenthetically here, it's not central to what we're talking about today, but it is interesting, yet another uh, example of the phenomenon that was part of what drove me to do the Corbett Report in the first place is the fact that this article taking place online in the internet age talks about this report that presumably at the time was available from the UK Ministry of Defense's website, but... Do they give you a link to that report? Of course not. Absolutely linkless, sourceless. Just trust our characterization of this report. Not only that, they don't even give you the title of that report. So you have to do some digging in order to actually find an actual copy of the actual report that back at the time would have been very simple to link up. I, this is exactly what I talked about in my presentation at the FOSA conference on open source journalism several years ago in France, where I, I noted that and I, I pointed at a New York Times example. Here's a New York Times.com article from the early 2000s. And look, how many links do you see in this article? Yeah, pretty much nothing. They don't link to anything they're talking about. 
that at the very least has changed over the years, and they would be more apt to link such a report this day and age. But I think that's precisely because of those internet-enabled citizen journalists that they deride in this article and in the report itself, um, do, forcing the hand of these media companies that have, well, it's just what, link to the report? Why? No, we're telling you what the report says. Just just trust us. Just trust our characterization and the little, the little passages that we choose to quote, the little few words we quote between our interpretation here and there should be enough for you, hoi polloi, you masses. And this, I mean, I, I don't want to downplay this. This is an incredibly important thing. It really is. This is the way that uh, the, the would-be ruling class has ruled over humanity for countless millennia. And this is exactly why the Gutenberg printing press was such a revolution. And suddenly you get all these, these Bibles in the hands of average people, in their own tongue even. Oh my God, these people, it was these illiterate masses who have been going to, to mass on Sundays and it's been taking place in the Latin and don't understand a single thing that's going on or what's being said. The, their only understanding of the Bible stories probably come from the stained glass windows or the paintings. They have some sort of vague idea of these stories. They've had no access to the texts that they are supposedly worshipping from. And suddenly you get this invention that suddenly puts this in the hands of people and suddenly people are able to read and read things in their own in their own language and they can actually read the text for themselves. The, the point of the ruling class has always been to keep people at remove from information and putting people in between the information and uh, and the people so that you have to get it from the priestly class, whatever, whoever that tends to be in any society. And uh, that's exactly the role that the establishment media performs. And that's why it took many, many years for them to even start linking reports and things uh, when they talk about them. I, 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 again, this isn't the point of flash mobs, but I think it's an incredibly important point to make and to underline here. Um, but yes, in, in, in direct counteraction to that and the, the, the presumptions of the uh, Guardian in, oh, we, we will safeguard this information and we will let you know what you need to know. Oh, I, I will provide the link to the actual document itself so you can go and read it, the 90-page report. Um, which in 2007, you got to admit, was prescient in a number of ways. Suddenly the middle classes are going to be energized and take on the role of Marx's proletariat in some sort of revolutionary time because of financial uh, uh, chaos and because of uh, all these new technologies that are coming on and flash mobs and there's going to be brain chips implanted in people that's going to be giving them information and there's going to be unmanned vehicles, drones, if you will, that are, so that are going to be weaponized and suddenly these attacks will be coordinated will come out of nowhere and no one will know what happened or who did it. And there was a lot of interesting information even at that time. And uh, this is a, if not annual report, at least a regular report that this particular branch of the UK Ministry of Defense makes and they've updated it since then. But here was the 2007 version of that specifically referencing flash mobs as part of this grim dystopian nightmare future that they were painting uh, at that time. So, uh, as I say, I will include the, the report so you can go and read through it and, and see uh, for yourself what it was actually saying. But let's listen to a bit of an alternative take on that Guardian article from that time in 2007 by Alan Watt of Cutting Through the Matrix. And here's what was in the Guardian. Monday, April the 9th, 2007. And who was selected to write this? Richard Norton-Taylor. Norton-Taylor. Double. We call that double-barreled name. It's more impressive than John Smith or something like that. And it says here, Protective chemical suits 
the Ministry of Defense predicts more use of chemical weapons. They predict it. Eh? They predict more use of chemical weapons. This is how they, they give their statements to the British public and, and to the world. Not how they came to this conclusion or anything, or, or the think tanks that uh, were paid millions to go through these scenarios. Every kind of scenario you can imagine. And he goes on to say, information chips implanted in the brain, electromagnetic pulse weapons, the middle classes becoming revolutionary, taking on the role of Marx's proletariat, the population of countries in the Middle East increasing by 132% while Europe's drops as fertility falls. Flash mobs, they love, they love the lingo. Lingo is these little words that they come up with, flash mobs. Flash mobs, which are groups rapidly mobilized by criminal gangs or terrorist groups. Now let's just go over this little paragraph here. As I say, look at how this is presented to the public. This is standard British predictive programming. It's giving you uh, fear on one hand, without explaining exactly why they've come to these conclusions as to what's going to happen. But it's, it gives us a fear in the public. Um, it should also terrify the middle class because it tells the middle class something which has been suspected for a long time. Uh, they are definitely to be gotten rid of by this psychopathic elite because they're not worried about uh, lower psychopaths with, with less power from the lower classes jumping up there and taking over. They're worried about some people in the middle classes doing it because they, that's where most of them came from, you see. They worked their way up from the bottom, middle, and the top. And it says here, now, why would the middle classes become revolutionary? It doesn't explain that part, you see. Well, it means that something's going to happen to the middle classes to make them revolutionary. And also the professors they bring in, like Huxley and Toynbee, that used to be brought in, and now they have other professors that have taken over. Experts, you see. Their own uh, higher Masonic men of the trust. Uh, they've gone through history for them and what I've really told them is that most revolutions are actually middle class revolutions the French revolution for instance was a middle class revolution the American revolution uh, was, was an upper middle class revolution although the middle classes and lesser ones fought it mainly the lesser ones fought it all and the middle classes certainly gained from it but, uh, in fact, the psychopaths often led it. This is the problem, you see. They become leaders, and they lead things. They don't care what movement it is. They, they sense popular opinion, and they, 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 like chameleons, they adopt the attitude of the movement and become leaders. That's how they get to the top. That was, once again, Alan Watt of Cutting Through the Matrix, who I am given to understand based on a post on his website, apparently passed away recently. I don't know any of the details of that, but apparently whoever is posting on his site now says they're going to keep that site updated. Um, I don't know the details of any of that, but uh, rest in peace to Alan Watt. And uh, if people are unfamiliar with his work, maybe you can follow the link in the sh show notes to this particular April 2007 broadcast that he gave. Um, to hear more of his analysis on this article and others. 
Um, and I, I think he makes a good point uh, in this particular analysis about the the way that this flash mob term is being introduced, essentially introduced to the public. It was still a new term, newish term back in 2007, and it's being presented by the Ministry of Defense through this British predictive programming, as Alan Watt points out, um, in a classic way. It's giving you fear on one hand without explaining exactly why they've come to these conclusions. Yes, flash mobs, which are ra- groups rapidly mobilized by criminal gangs or terrorist groups. Well, is that is that all a flash mob is? So that it's 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 very definition is inherently criminal or terrorists, really? No, of course not. But they're just leaving out anything else that could be used for this or any other interpretation of this. It is a threat. That is the way that this very idea is was being implanted in the public even 14 years ago, let alone today. So clearly, I think they've been setting up the infrastructure to paint this as a threat that needs to be dealt with, and here's how we're going to do it. First of all, you can't have any encryption, and you can't talk to other people online about organizing for these types of things, and blah, blah, blah. And they're obviously uh, it, a couple of well-organized well, well false flag events away from flash mob becoming a dirty word in the mind of the public. Oh, look at this flash mob causing havoc. So uh, this is something that at the very least I think we need to be aware of when talking about this as a stratagem for carving out a space for freedom in the world, that it is obviously the the narrative has been set and they're going to try to use it against the the population um, in one way or another and to make people afraid of it. So there's a lot to consider here today. And as I say, this is Solutions Watch. We're putting ideas out on the table, looking at them. Does it apply to you in your context, in your area, for the goals and purposes that you have that's for you to decide and to conclude, and uh, don't let others adjudicate that for you. Um, it, but it does. There are a lot of things that you have to consider if you are going to plan some sort of freedom flash mob. Uh, what is the purpose of it? What do you want to accomplish for this? Do you want more of the the freedom flash shopper variety, or do you want more of the the crazy take your masks off event in the store kind of? style or something else entirely? What do you want to accomplish with it? What do you want the reaction to be? Are you going to do this as an educational thing to post online for others to see? Or is it more to actually accomplish shopping in the real world? In which case, maybe you don't need to be posting it online or making a big deal out of it or etc, etc. Again, there's lots of different things to think about here. And I'm obviously interested to hear your feedback. And I'm sure there are many, many more examples of people doing things like this. Uh, This is obviously not the full gamut of everything that's being done. So if you do know of other examples, let other people know about it and uh, examine You know what's working, what isn't, how can it be employed fruitfully, how can we counteract those potential uh, threats that are coming for the demonization of the flash mob that uh, has already been implanted in the public imagination. Lots of things to consider, as always. And as always, I leave it to you, conscious, free, independent human beings, to come to your own conclusions about what works for you and what doesn't, and in what way you can... Uh, implement this in your life or whether you choose not to implement it at all. And that's going to do it for this week's edition of Solutions Watch, but obviously I'll be back in the very near future talking to you again. James Corbett, CorbettReport.com.